0: I don't worry where she's at. I know she's today worshiping in glory. She's where we're going if you're saved. But you wonder sometimes, and you can't help it when things seem fixed, but then they all of a sudden are broken. Can we trust God? I mean, we trust Him when everything's going right, don't we? Well, we trust in Him when they're broken. Are we trusting when it just don't make a whole lot of sense? (laughs) This morning, I want to share with you along the subject, do we really trust God? Philippians 4 gives me some comforting words, verse 6 and 7, that says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, haven't I asked you to pray for Terry? That's what we're supposed to do. Rather than worry, let's pray. Tell God what you need. Now, look, you're not going to surprise God that Terry's sick. He may have gotten a surprise. My mama's there but with him. But there is no surprise of what's going on. And, and so I want you to know, and I quote your mama. God is doing something. I mean, there's been more stirring in the last week or two in a lot of people's lives, and there's going to be even more. And, and, and let me tell you something life's serious. <laughs> and, 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 you, and every moment that you're able to take a breath, count it a blessing. Count it, th- he says, thank Him. Thank who? Thank God. For all that he's done and that he's going to do. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. Which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard you. It will guard your heart, your mind, and as you live in Christ. This church needs peace right now, and we don't need peace in our understanding. We need peace in His because whether we agree with what God does, we have to accept what He does, but by nature, many of you are no different than what is, quote, unquote, you're a worry wart. Webster's Dictionary defines a worry ward as one who is inclined to worry unduly. Know what that means? All you do is worry. You wake up and you go to bed, worry. One lady said that she was worried because she was not worried. (laughs) That's a worry ward. Maybe you're like the woman that worried so much she convinced herself that she had an incurable liver condition and was worrying herself sick about it. She finally went to the doctor, and after tests were run, the doctor said that she had nothing to worry about. Anyway, the doctor said, you wouldn't know if you had this condition because it causes no discomfort of any kind. The lady replied, oh, my goodness, that's my symptoms exactly. How's a worry war. Look, you don't need to live long to have any reason to worry. There's a temptation all around us to worry. If you got grandkids, you're tempted to worry. If you got kids, if you had a mother like mine out there driving, I was worried. I don't worry no more. That car's sitting in the driveway. That poor old guy got run over by a bicycle, though. He was worried. <laughs> if you were to take the Internet and Google it and go out there and say, what does people worry about, you'd find th- such things as they worry over the U.S. deficit, ozone, global warming. By the way, you, if you worry over glo- global warming, you're about the boredest individual I've ever met. By the way, the sun's in charge of all that, and the sun is the sun over the sun. And, and if you are going to distrust Jesus, then believe in global warming if you want to. Air quality, education, credit fraud, road rage, national ID cards, soil erosion. One page said we're worrying about deformed frogs. Really? <laughs> Have anybody spent any time worrying about a deformed frog? I don't guess so. I once ran across an article that talked about baby boomers. Now, who is the baby boomer? A baby boomer is born if you were pre or post World War II, and you were born in 1946 to 1964. By the way, if you were born in 1946 between that and 1964, raise your hand. Look around, guys. Minds up. We baby boomers. You want to know what we're like? Well. Then we were getting out to new hip joints and looking for places to party. Now we're getting a new hip joint. (laughs) Then it was acid rock, pink Floyd. Now it's acid reflux. (laughs) Then it was being called into the principal's office. Now we storm into the principal's office. Then it was long hair. Now we're just longing for some hair. Then it was passing a driving test. Now we're hoping we can pass the vision test. Then it was trying to look like Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor. Now we're trying not to look like Marlon Brando and Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> and finally, then worrying about no one coming to your birthday party, but now we're worrying that somebody shows up at our funeral. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Webster's Dictionary says cubit is 18 to 22 inches. I say you and I cannot add one inch, not a quarter of an inch, to your height by worrying. Worry never climbed a hill and never paid a bill, never dried a tear, never calmed a fear, work never cooked a meal, and worry never fixed a broken wheel. But we're so tempted to worry. You say, what is worry? Well, the definition in Webster says to be to have a strangling effect, to cause you to feel troubled or uneasy, uh-oh, to be in distress, to be troubled in a, as a state of mind. Someone has said that worrying is like rocking in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you're not getting very far. Worry never eliminates our problems. It only enlarges them. It never helps. It only hurts. Worry is senseless. It's useless. It's vainless to do so, but so many of us do it. Worry downright is a lack of the trust of God. When you and I worry, we are doubting God. (laughs) Well... One lady, she worried so much that her hair fell out of her wig. Let me tell you something. That's some serious worrying. (laughs) And some of you do some serious worrying in this house. That's why you're listening to me. And by the way, there's nobody in here except babies listening that's not guilty of this sin of worry. Now, we got that out of the way. Worry is a sin. I like one one preacher. He must have been an independent fire. Well, anyway, worrying, he said, is a sin. It's a black, murderous, God-defying, Christ-rejecting sin. And we go, ah, it's still sin. We will never know the victory over worry and anxiety until we treat it as sin. It's a deep-seated distrust of the Father who assures us again and again that even the falling sparrow is in his tender care. Three times, verse 25, 31, and 34 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, take no thought. When he refers to the word thought, he's meaning don't be anxious about it. You ever hear people say, well, I'm not worrying. I'm just anxious. Same thing. (laughs) So you can't change synonyms. You can't change defin- If you worry, you'll worry. Amen? I said amen. amen. Wake up, y'all. <laughs> Jesus mentioned several things beginning with verse 25, Matthew 6. He, takes, he says, take no thought for what you shall eat or what you shall drink. He's talking about our food. In America, we don't worry about food. I mean, all you gotta do is come in the food building. All you gotta do is tell somebody if you're starving, we you're not gonna starve around us. But in Africa, 17,000 people, kids a year are dying of starvation. And, and so it's a real thing that goes around us, but Jesus said, hey, it's real, but don't worry about it. He says, go He goes on to say, take no thought yet for your body. That's dealing with the fitness. Nothing wrong with our bodies being fit, but he says when they break down, don't worry about it. They're supposed to break down. Actually, we're supposed to die. He talks about our fashion. He says, don't worry. Don't take no fault for the what you shall put on and, and raiment. You know, the only thing I, I want to note that men and women need to take thought... Because the Bible says that we are to be to dress modestly, and I'm telling you what, some men and women need to take thought, not worry about it. They just need to cover some stuff up. You say, "Well, bless God, who are you?" I'll tell you who I am. I'm a preacher of the gospel, and the Bible says, "Dressed modestly." What's that mean? That means dress so you look at your eyes, not your butt and your boot. Do I need to make it any simpler than that? Some people need to wake up. He says, look, don't take no thought, therefore, of tomorrow. What's he talking about? He's talking about the future. How many of you sitting here right now worrying about the future? You're worrying for somebody's future. You are. And so he said, now, I'm not saying this. I'm just... Sound what Jesus said because I'm just as guilty, guilty as you are. Sometimes I get caught up in this worrying stuff, being anxious. I mean, come on. I, in April, I turned 60. Ain't I a pretty 60? Oh, no. I, <laughs> and one day, I'll be 65. And I'm just going to pray I can just keep on going if I can remember how to get here. And by the way, I'm learning some things. Is easy. It's just better to forget <laughs> when it comes to ministry. Just forget it. I like it. I can't wait till my wife gets to the point where we argue. Five minutes, we can't remember what we're arguing about. Y'all, what are y'all looking at? Some of you are already there. <laughs> Look at my wife. Anyway, finances. Is the bottom line of food, fitness, fashion, and future. I don't know anybody in here that's that's free from not worrying about money. I don't know why we do it, but we just do it. Jesus said, don't do it. Then he gives us three bold reasons why we shouldn't worry. One is because it's sinful. Thank you, Jack. You're already up there. I'll catch up with you in a minute. If, if somebody walked into my house drunk and beat my wife up, I'd be upset. Matter of fact, I'd want to whoop somebody. If somebody was a believer, came and stole my car, that'd make me mad. And we don't make fun of stuff like that. But some reason or another, when it comes to worrying, we just make jokes about that. Yeah, we do. Uh, we're always looking. Look, worrying is just as much a sin as idolatry, adultery, hypocrisy, and profanity. Y'all don't look at it like that, I can tell right now, but that's the truth. I'm ashamed to say that some of the biggest worry warts are growing on Christians. Some of you got warts all over, you just can't see them. But they're in your wrinkles. They're in your hair loss. They're in your acid reflux. I was reading the other day, and it kind of bothered me. Do you know that if you take Nexium you run a risk of having a B12 problem? I didn't know that. That's right. Of course, I chew on a B12 thing every day. A little cube I get from the GNC, my wife says, here, you take this, you need it. All right? I'm on vitamins with B12 in it, but look, you can go down seriously. Be careful. Take care of yourself. Don't worry about it, just take care of it. Amen? Amen. Man, I love this passage. In light of all of this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Quit trying to figure everything out. Seek His will in all you do, and He will direct your each and every step. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything your land produces. Then God will fill your barns with grain and your vats. He will provide for you if you trust him, if you honor him, if, if you follow his ways. Said the sparrow or robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious hum- human beings Rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I think it surely must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Mm, That's a slap in the face when birds are smarter than we are. The second thing is we should not worry because worry is senseless. In verse 25, 26 it says, Therefore I say to you do not worry about your life what you'll eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to what Jesus says here. Are you not more valuable than the animal kingdom? The birds that fly? And yet, When you and I worry, we put ourselves on the level of one dimension, and it is a physical dimension, and it's the animal kingdom dimension. Look, animals are concerned with only three things. Self-propagation, which is reproducing himself. Self-preservation, which is staying alive. And self-gratification, making sure your physical needs are met. When man worries only about the same things, he is no better than a dog, a cat, or a bird. But yet, we're told there's another dimension. And that dimension is a spiritual dimension. Jesus points at it when he says, Now look, so often when you worry, You're worrying about filling your barns, but you're allowing your soul to be empty, and that's why you worry. Jesus points and he says, there are the fowls that, in verse 26, that fly above us. He said, look at the birds. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't put in put food in barns, they don't have bank accounts, they don't have 401K plans, they don't have insurance, they don't have nothing. But the Bible says God takes care of the fowl that fly over us. (laughs) And yet, somehow, we're wearing ourselves sick for those things. While it's true that the sky is full of birds of robins and blue jays and cardinals and sparrows and hummingbirds and eagles and hawks and even crows, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store food. But they are dependent on the heavenly Father. You see, you and I, when we worry, we're not dependent on God. One little boy yelled at his mommy, <clears throat> and the mama yelled back from the kitchen, What is it, Johnny? The little boy said, You know that dish you were always worried about? Yes, dear, what about it? You don't have to worry about it anymore. (laughs) How many of us worry about things until it's broken? Until it dies. Until it leaves us. You see, God never intended us to do it that way. He, He intended us to look at things from his perspective. The fowls that fly, Jesus pointed this out in verse 28, but he also talked about the flowers that grow around us. Look at verses 28, 29, and 30. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Now, I can imagine Jesus looking out. He said, you know what? He said, God the Father has done a a neat thing. There's, There's flowers growing in the field. They didn't plant themselves. They were planted by the Father. And they're growing. And he goes on to say in verse 29 and 30, I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon in all of the beauty and grandeur of his royal garments was not as beautiful as the beautiful flowers that grow in the field. Verse 30 says, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? God's going to take care of you. Now, some of you are rascals, so I'm going to help you out. Some of you face weak. Some of you feel backslidden. Well, I want to take you to a backslidden prophet, Jonah chapter 2. Listen to these words. I'm going to have a seat while I read it. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the inside of a big fish. Now, who prepared the big fish? God did. Why did he prepare God himself for a big fish? Because Jonah was going to goof up. And God knew it before he ever formed him that Jonah was going to mess up. And if you don't believe me, go on and read 3 and 4. It don't get any better. (laughs) Jonah said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the world of the dead, and the Lord heard me, or you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. I was buried beneath your wild stormy waves. Then I said, "Oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. How will I ever again see your holy temple?" I sank beneath the waves and the death was very death was very near, and the waters closed in around me and seaweed wrapped itself around my head. He was in the belly of a fish. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was locked out of life and imprisoned in the land of the dead. But listen to this. But you, O Lord, O my God, have snatched me from the yawning jaws of death. What did he do? Well, for you that don't think that God doesn't even when we're backslidden take care of us and protect us because it don't get any better. I mean, Jonah, the Bible says, went and did exactly what he said to do. He was mad. He preached mad. He preached, he preached with prejudice in his eyes and with it in his heart. He walked away from a city of complete revival. And he was mad to, the, to his soul. Couldn't think of what I to say. But yet, God loved him. Protected him. Does that okay you to be rebellious? I wouldn't do it. Does that okay you to be prejudiced? I wouldn't do it. Does that mean it's okay to preach mad? I wouldn't do it even though I have. Does that mean I can be backslidden and serve God? I just would stay right. It's easier to stay right than it is. Live wrong. I want you to hear this statement. Very important. My, I I wish I could have met this man. I think this man, as far as faith goes, he had it. He had it where I fall way short. His name was George Mueller. Listen to what he said. I believe he was the greatest man of God with faith that ever lived. But here's what he said. The beginning... Of worry is the end of faith. And the beginning of faith is the end of worry. You say, well, how do I quit worrying? Live in faith. Quit living by the flesh. Quit living by your, you say, "My, it's just hard. Yeah, it's hard. Huh. Sure is. But just remember what he said, is true. If you have one ounce of worry going on, faith, is taking a back seat. But if you want to eliminate the worry, let your faith rise to the top. If it's in you, Jesus can rise to the top above your circumstances. The third thing is that we should not worry because it, there is a solution. Look at verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, the God, this is God's word for worry. God's answer for anch- to be an anxious is simply a principle that we need to see. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Stop worrying. Go to seeking right things, right thinking. Romans 12:1 talks about retransforming, renewing your mind, not on your thoughts, but his. When are you going to realize it's your stinking thinking that gets you in trouble? His thoughts, his wisdom, his word will keep you out of a whole lot of junk. But you've got to be proactive. I mean, you just can't take the Bible and put it here and it's going to happen. It don't work that way. As long as you try to run your own life, steer your own car, fly your own plane, push your own buttons, make your own decisions, you're going to worry. But if you give it to him. Now, grant you, I don't like those bumper stickers that says God's my co-pilot. I stay away from them cars because I'm smart enough to know that somebody got to drive that car. But, God in that driver, I'll accept it. we still a (laughs) co-pilot. Look, either God is in this thing, and he's either going to take care of you or he's not. You're either going to trust him or you're not. And when you don't, you're going to worry. You're going to worry about everything. There are two things in the prayer of serenity that I think are very important that we should never worry about. One, You should never worry about those things you can change. Uh, Ladies, quit trying to change those men. You can't do it. I'm sorry. No. And if you think marrying them is going to change them, it's only going to make it worse. Because what you see is what you got. It's not what you're going to get. It's what you got. (laughs) And men... If you think you're going to change those ladies, you done figured that out, it ain't going to happen. Only God can do that, and you better learn that. So, the second thing is, never worry about the things you can't change. How many of you run around here worrying about something you have? You ain't no way you can do anything about it. I mean, you, you'd like to. I mean, you'd like to straighten it out. You'd like to, to plane the waters. You'd like to make it all right, but Jesus said, Don't worry about it, because if you can't change it, he'll take care of it, and you can trust him on that. He says, not only is there a principle to see, but a person we have to seek. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's God that wants to control our life, and and again, it's not passive. It's very active. And when Dr. Vance Habner used this statement when he said, God does not have favorites, he has intimates. You say, what does that mean? Well, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will what? Some of you are in this house right here today. You do not feel like God is near. You do not feel, and it bothers you. You want to know why he's not near? If you're saved, it's because you're not near him. He's near you. But if you've got sin, you're not going to feel near to God. If you're dealing with it, you're trying to live this life the way you want to live it, you're not going to feel near uh, near and intimate to God. Kind of like the old couple, man and wife. They're driving down an old country road in an old beat-up truck. And after marriage 50 years, she's sitting there on the passenger side, and she looked over at her husband and said, You know, when we first started dating, you used to sit right next to me. He looked at it and said, well, I ain't the one that moved. <laughs> he didn't move. Some of you sitting there so, you're worrying about everything. You're so far out on the left field and everything going on. And you're saying, God don't care. Oh, yes, he does. Because he hadn't moved, you have. God don't move. If he's there in us, he does not move but we do. David said in Psalms 37, 25, I've been young and now old, and yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. The righteous are those who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The scene, as I close, was a football game at the Rose Bowl. The two undefeated teams was Georgia Tech, and the University of California. Some some of you may have seen this game. They were playing the national championship. Two quarters had gone by, and it was deadlocked. California was on the Georgia Tech 33-yard line, pushing and grinding. All of a sudden, the ball was snapped. The ball goes straight up in the air. The center sees the ball. For California, he grabs the ball, he's hit, he turns, he's hit again, he turns. He he saw the open goal line, and he's running for his dear life. A sinner, just to think about it, is fixing to score the most strategic football game in the entire match. He's running, he's running, the crowd is going wild. Pandemonium broke loose. He thinks he's running for the touchdown, but he's failed to realize that he's running the wrong way. He's running to the wrong goal. Georgia Tech was calling for interference to try to help him. And his own teammates were trying to tackle him and bring him down. He thinks that they're being selfish because they want to score the touchdown. He's a center, so his old big legs are just a- pumping his heart. Finally, they catch up with him at the one-yard line, and they bring him down. You can't even begin to imagine that the humiliation as he walks back to the bench among the boos and the jeers and the cheers of the crowd. For the rest of his career, he was known as Wrong Way Roy. Can you think of anything? any more humiliating than be playing in a game and getting the goals confused running the wrong way. Well, let me ask you something. There are some of you here today, you hustling and you're a bustling. You're trying to make as much money as you can. You're trying to build as big a kingdom and home as you can. You're trying to drive as nice a car as you can. You're trying to wear as nice a clothes you can. But all of the time, God is looking down from heaven saying, you're headed for the wrong goal. Now, wait a minute, Mike. Is it wrong to make money? No. Is it wrong to have a nice house? No. I mean, is it wrong that I drive a decent car, new car? No. You don't be a dummy. Go ahead. Is it wrong (laughs) that I have nice clothes? No. But that is not what's important. My mama, bless her pee-picking soul, had all that good stuff, but it didn't do her any good, she still died. There's two things that's important death and the judgment. Now, guys, you want to go toward the right go? Jesus set forth that pass, He, he said narrow is the way that he, that leadeth to eternal life. Is that because that road is hard? Absolutely not. You don't have, You couldn't do anything to earn that road. You couldn't do anything to deserve that road. That road was paid in full, complete. All we has to do is get on that road in Jesus, in Christ, the Bible says. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. You say, well, what does that mean? Man, you just jump on any road you want to, and I promise you, you'll end up in hell. There's only one road that you're going to end up in eternity, and that's the one Jesus said, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except that road through me, Jesus. That's why it's narrow, because there's only one way, and that's through Jesus. You want to know what's important in life? Do you know Jesus? Jesus in you. Are you saved? I'm looking at you this next Sunday, but you, like my mom, I could be looking in a coffin next Sunday. And by the way, you can be buried here any time you want to. I don't care. I like it better here in the church anyway. I don't like like funeral homes. I'd rather do it all here at the church. But it ain't going to do you any good in the church if the church isn't in you. And who's the church? It's Jesus, man. He is the foundation. He is the founder. He is the one that quickens it. He's the one that brought it to life. He's the one that wants to put it in us. And we are his body. And, man, you either got that or you don't. It's it's easy. It's simple. You're either lost or saved. You either know where you're heading or you need to get where you're heading. And you need to accept Jesus.